Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. I like being involved in things and being behind the scenes and knowing what all's going on and how. I, I like to think that's a leadership thing, but maybe it's just a busybody thing. I don't know what it is, but uh, I enjoy that. The other day I had a, a funeral. It was a major thing. Uh, it was no one uh, that you would probably know. And uh, it was a smaller gathering, probably 25, 40 people at the most. And uh, it was interesting. All Gilmans have had a, a pretty interesting stretch lately. They're doing basically two funerals a day. It's crazy. They've hired a couple new people. There was a gentleman who um, drove the hearse that I had to ride in um, that was from Dover. He, and as we talked a little bit, it didn't take very long, he, he is a Baptist over, and it was really a neat time together. And uh, and I, I was thinking about some of our conversation because we were talking about how busy we are, how he's helped in different places, and we uh, and I just thought, well, this is a conversation most people don't get. Uh, you don't get to be a part of, you don't hear these things. And we were talking about some of the behind the scenes kind of stuff. So behind-the-scenes things, and I was thinking about that, and probably, I don't know why, but I've had lots of fun opportunities to do that. Um, been, you know, like in dugouts and locker rooms and hotels with athletes and stuff, and it's always fun. God doesn't do it all the time, and He doesn't tell us everything that we want to know, but there are some glimpses that we get to the behind-the-scenes of the birth of Christ, particularly from um, what was going on in heaven. And so we're going to take a look in this, uh, in this concept. It's from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. And leading into that verse, it's talking about uh, the salvation that we have, how God provided that by sending His Son, Christ. And it tells sort of the redemption story in a short form that Peter wrote. And then he mentions this, that even angels long to look into these things. Uh, it, it sounds like, and, and it's a little bit more picturesque, to say that the angels in heaven were stooping down and were studying what exactly is God doing? What is he doing? Jesus is coming to earth. This is amazing. And so, if you want to, you can envision a bunch of angels just peeking out the side of a cloud, looking down and seeing what's going on in Bethlehem at that time. They were astonished. The angels were absolutely astonished at this plan of human redemption. Why would God, the Creator, ever stew and care so much for this lost thing of humanity. This is a wonder, this concept of the Incarnation. Now remember, these angels are the same ones 
who would be the throne of God. Every single day around the throne of God, and they know who he is, and they sing a song constantly because they can't say it enough. And the song goes something like, Holy, Holy, Lord God Almighty. Um, that's, at least that's what Isaiah heard in chapter 6 of his recording. They know God, and they cannot comprehend at all why he would do such a thing as this for such a lowly, undeserved creature as man. Now something we do re need to remember is seconds before the uh, inception, Jesus was in heaven, and he had been in heaven. He created heaven. In fact, heaven cannot contain him and his greatness. And now he's stepping out of that into humanity, being confined like this. Historically, huge, huge. This is a huge thing. It's the biggest thing ever since creation. So what I want to do for the next couple weeks is take a little bit of a look at the angels and, and the involvement of angels in the birth of Christ. We're not told everything we want to know. And so it's going to be woefully disappointing to you and say, well, you didn't say this or that. It's like, because we don't know and I just don't know everything about it. We're not revealed everything. But I think we are, aren't they? Um, I can remember I did a message about angels in 1994. I did a series on angels. And all the material I had on that, all these articles, and, and it was all talking about how popular they were and how everybody, and one person back then wrote this comment. He said, angels are not being represented real well. They need new uh, PR people. Uh, and I think he's right that uh, angels are not presented really well. In fact, um, they're sort of misled as far as how people present them today. A couple things, just some factoids that you want to know. Angels are created beings. You remember that? Angels are created beings. They didn't exist forever. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have existed forever. But angels were spoken into creation the same week that the earth, the heavens and the earth were created as well. Angels are mentioned in the book of Luke. Luke is where we're going to be, where Elmer read to us already, so I didn't have to do it again. <coughs> mentioned in Luke's writings 23 times. And throughout the Bible, there's at least 300 or more references to angels. They're created beings. I gave you a bunch of verses on one of the lines in your bulletin that will talk to you about that creation thing, and you can look that up later on. The spiritual gender of angels, because they're not physical like us, they're not male, they're not female, and they're not any of the other 700 things that Facebook allows you to say you are. <laughs> so I don't know what they are. They're spiritual beings. They're different. Um, the Bible names a couple of them. For instance, uh, really, Gabriel, who we're going to look at today, and Michael, the archangel that we see in the book of Daniel. And depending on your translation, if you go to Isaiah 14, uh, or Ezekiel 28, uh, the King James, the New International, has one that they identify as Lucifer, 
and most people equate that to Satan. That's a whole other study that we're not going to look at. But Satan is one that was a created angel. He was made by God, and he fell. Some, um, some during the uh, time between the book of Malachi and, and the time of Christ, there were some writings, we call them the apocryphal books, and they mention an angel in there that's not mentioned in the Bible that you and I hold in our hands. That angel's named Raphael, and so you might, I just bring that up, um, I don't think he was, was that one of the turtle things, named Raphael? I, I know nothing about that. I, my kids were, my grandkids were in the wrong generations then, but anyhow, no. In the Bible, there's a couple of categories of titles for angels. There's the seraphim, the cherubim, and it also just says living creatures. And I try to figure out which one is Gabriel, and I'm thinking he's probably a seraphim, but he identifies as a cherubim. And so I don't know what he is. Uh, John, in his writing, the book of Revelation, talks about angels, and he came into the heavens and, and he saw angels, and when he tried to say who they were, or how many there were, he said there were 10,000, and you can do the math, I know that, but that's not the point. It was, it's innumerable. There's an amazing number of angels that God had created. Back in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, when Manoah was approached by, by the angel of God and had his encounter with him. And Manoah at the end said, who are you? What's your name? And the answer that the New International gives is, it is too wonderful for you to understand. Some of the other versions have, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. It was the angel of the Lord. My... <clears throat> Interpretation of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is it's almost always um, some would call it a theophany or an appearance of God in human form, or I prefer Christophany because I think it's Christ coming in human form. That's another subject altogether as well. So Gabriel is the one we're thinking about today. Gabriel was the angel who came and spoke to Zechariah. The name Gabriel, um, depending on who's interpreting, it could mean man of God, or mighty one of God, or a warrior of God. Um, he was a pretty significant angel. So did you think you ever saw one? Well, let's take a little test, because these are some things that we know from the Bible about angels. For instance, an angel of God always agrees with God. Now, I used to watch that show, Touched by an Angel, and that was nice and cute and all that. But there were a lot of times that whatever the angel came to do was absolutely not what angels do. And God would not endorse some of that. Sometimes you hear people talk about the message they got from angels. And the message that they said they heard from an angel is the exact opposite of what God would tell some people. Um, so, really important really important. If you want to think about angels, then you need to pour yourself into God's Word and understand His truth a little bit so that you can understand the, message, the real message of angels. Another thing about angels is that an angel of God always honors God. Always seeking to bring glory and praise to God. Always. 
not to honor people, not to make them happy and look good, but to always honor God. Now, a lot of times that makes us happy and maybe even makes us look good, but the purpose and the point is to bring honor to God. And another thing about angels is an angel of God will act for God. He will do God's will. He will help fulfill God's purposes. So the primary activities of angels in heaven is basically to praise God and to worship Him. That's what they do there. And on occasion, once in a while, they will be sent to carry messages uh, to people on earth. For instance, uh, Gabriel did that prior to the birth of Christ. Um, in Daniel chapter 8, it's Gabriel who comes to Daniel and tells him about the vision that he had experienced, the vision about the ram and the goat and the little horn, and he explained that to him. Then in Daniel chapter 9, it's Gabriel again who comes back and gives Daniel the prophecy we call the seven-week prophecy, and that is probably one of the most unique, the most important prophecies of the Old Testament because it tells about the next 400 years of Israel's history, and then it tells us exactly when Christ was going to come to earth in his incarnate form, and then it tells us about that seven-year time period in the future that we say is the uh, tribulation period. So that prophecy was probably as encompassing as any that was ever given. It was huge. Sometimes angels have various roles. Uh, they may announce warning like they did to Sodom and Gomorrah. Or they might announce a pending rescue like they did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or they might just give instruction like they did to Hagar, who was Sarah's handmaid and who was in great distress what was going on in their lives at that time. Gabriel said, and Elmer read it to you, so it's got to be right, um, Gabriel said that he lives in the presence of God. He is always in the presence of God. So he has the inside information that you and I really, really long to know about. He also has authority and can exercise power when he wants to. And I'm wondering, I don't know this for sure, but I'm wondering, would Gabriel been, outside of the triunity of God, would Gabriel been one of the first ones to know about the plan of God's visit to earth, that he was going to come in an incarnate form? I think Satan knew that things were coming up. Things were happening. Something's up here. But, and he knew a little bit, because Satan can read the Bible too. He knew what was revealed. He knows humans. And, and I think he was aware of stuff. And he tried hard to, to thwart the plans of God. He tried to have Jesus killed when he was young. And then when Jesus was going to the cross, he put it in the heart of Peter to say, no, I, I won't let you go to be crucified. We won't let that happen. And Jesus said to Peter, remember, you know what he said. Get behind me, Satan. Satan was Satan did everything he could to have Jesus stopped from this plan. And I just think he didn't know the inside information, but Gabriel did. Gabriel got the inside information, and he was the one who was chosen to announce it to different people. The purpose of angels basically serve God, serve his people. 
another bigger study, but yeah, I do believe in guardian angels. I really do, at least for children, but I think adults have them as well. And I think angels are still very active today, but that's not what we're talking about. So, um, the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi, and there's some prophecy that comes out of there. And then there's 400 years of where Israel and the priests and the prophets don't hear anything directly from God. There's no uh, insight coming to that. Now that's probably not the longest stretch there ever was, but it's a long stretch. And they were all waiting for this. In Malachi, the last things it says in the book of Malachi, in the Old Testament, it says this. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Isn't that great? The last thing God says to them, or I'll come and strike your land with a curse. And he doesn't talk to them for 400 more years. That had to be a tough thing. They were anxiously waiting for this Messiah, and, and they're looking for a forerunner who's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. Maybe it'll be Elijah himself. God's able to do that. <clears throat> when we read John chapter 1, <coughs> verses 19 to 23, we see John the baptizer breaking onto the scene. By the way, he's the baby that's going to be born that um, Gabriel told Zechariah about. And when John the Baptizer was being asked, who are you? Are you this Messiah that's to come? He said, nope, not me. That's not who I am. Who are you then? I'm the forerunner. And he says, I'm the voice of one calling out in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. He was the one who was to come and help prepare people's lives and hearts for this Messiah who was going to come. That's who Gabriel is introducing to Zechariah and Elizabeth is about to come through them. Zechariah and Elizabeth were the parents. Uh, Zechariah was a faithful priest. I think a very godly man. And his wife was wonderful. She was a godly woman, very supportive. Uh, and now at this point in their lives, they're old, they're older. And she has been barren all her life. And this is past the point of when they should have had children. I'm sure that was a difficult time for them to go through that and probably have lost hope by this point. Both of them were descendants of Aaron and that's significant because either way of them, they were qualified and either children were qualified to be priests and uh, in their day, there were, the priesthood was large and it was divided into 24 different groups. And the group that Zechariah was in was led by a gentleman named Abijah. And I don't know much about him, but all these different groups uh, rotated and alternated as to their services at the temple. James says it this way, um, and Zechariah was chosen by Lot. L-O-T, um, to be the one to perform the burning of the incense at this point. This would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Many of the priests never got to do this, but he got to do it. He was chosen by lot, by 
chance, by coincidence. Um, the other night, Ann and I were watching Hallmark movie. Okay, you guys can mock me later, but the men. But we were watching Hallmark movie, and and the predictable things all happened. And then, uh, oh, what a coincidence! And the hard-hearted guy says, I don't believe in coincidence. And then the woman said, well, yeah, there's coincidence, or they would have never invented the word. Uh, that was cute. But anyhow, um, it's not by coincidence. And even if you want to go that way, uh, when it said that it was chosen by Lot, in Proverbs 16.33, it says, the Lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Everything about it comes from the Lord. That's Proverbs 16.33. This time, it just happened to fall upon Zechariah to do his once-in-his-lifetime um, rare opportunity to go into the temple alone and to serve the people of Israel at that time. This particular time of service would bring the priest especially close to God. He was in the Holy of Holies, and there were people knew what was going on, and they were all gathered around the outside of the temple praying, and praying for him, praying that he's spiritual enough that God will accept the offerings that he's bringing to them. And an angel appears to him. And like it always happens every other time, in verse 13 it tells us that the angel has to say to him, don't be afraid, stop fearing. Because anytime you would see anything unknown, supernatural like that, it would cause fear. Now these are going to be the first words coming from heaven in over 400 years. And it's the message of salvation that's going to come. Here's the forerunner who's going to announce the Messiah, who's going to be the Savior of mankind. And salvation replaces all of our fears. It says in there that many will rejoice. 19 times the word joy or rejoice appears in the Gospel of Luke. And it's a blessing. People are going to be blessed because of what John does to prepare for what Jesus is. And um, you're going to have a child. And it's going to be a very special young. Angels don't just announce anybody, right? Um, well, maybe your kid, but kids. Uh, angels don't do that. This was such a high honor for this couple. And he's going to introduce the Messiah. Here's what it also God told him in Malachi. He said, see, I will send a messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire. Come, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 21, they were wondering about, you know, why did he stay so long in the temple? Why is Zechariah still in there? He should be done with the burning of incense and the prayers. What's going on in there? The implied thing is, maybe he died. Now, you might know that um, when they would go into the temple at those times, because of God's um, strict performing uh, requirements, that they had to do everything that was asked of them, and they had to do it exactly right. And there was danger involved. If you didn't do what God wanted you to do, you could lose your life. 
So what they would do for the priest, because they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies, they would tie a rope around his ankle so that if he died while he was in there, they could drag him out and give him a proper burial if they had to. They also had bells on their um, tassels so that you could hear them moving around and say, oh good, he's still alive, that's really good to know. So Joseph, I'm sorry, Zechariah, um, goes through his routine after he talks to the angel, he gets this message, and he does all of that in silence because when the angel told him that, about this, he questioned how it was going to happen. What's the sign that I will know that this is going to come true? And the angel said, I'll tell you what, you're not going to be able to talk anymore. Last week, um, Ann and I, we've done this for several years now. We, took the, we take the weekend after Thanksgiving and we take that weekend off. And um, Landry was getting ready to come to church last week and somehow he found out I wasn't here. And so he asked his mother, why isn't Bud speaking? Why isn't Grandma? And she said, oh, he's taking a vacation day. And he's like, vacation day? How hard is it to talk? <laughs> okay? Ask Zechariah hard it is to talk. He was silent for a long time. Now we're talking about the nine months of the pregnancy and probably another week and a day after that. Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And business or riches or whatever. The mother just desired a child. She just wanted someone to pour herself into. But the people really wanted a Messiah. All of them did. Every mother in Israel back then prayed that they would be the bearer of the Messiah. And um, here comes a very special young man. But when we look at the end of Luke chapter 1, uh, we see several things that after his birth takes place. And he's given a name. And the name is which is kind of interesting. I'll come back to that in a couple minutes. But I wanted to tell you about what happens during a nine-month period uh, from that angel's visit. First, next thing coming up is an angel's going to visit Mary. We're going to look at that next week a little bit. Um, then he has his appearance to Joseph. Uh, Joseph gets told about what's going on with Mary. Then Mary comes and visits with Elizabeth. And... Uh, this was probably about three months uh, along for Mary. And they, they both experienced the pregnancies. Uh, they actually spent about three months with Mary and Elizabeth together. And uh, the two women go through the pregnancies together. Most likely there were hours of meditation. Just what is this all about? What's happening? What is God doing? Why me? Why us? Very difficult time. And there was excitements and concerns related to the pregnancy. The birth of a son is always, in their culture, a time for great rejoicing. Any son would have pleased them. But this one's special. Here's a priest and his wife, and they have been appointed to carry a very special child. And once the birth took place, um, they would have the circumcision on the eighth day, and that whole time period, that whole eight-day time period, was probably one great celebration. 
Now, the word John is gracious, but they didn't have anybody in their history named John, so you shouldn't have done that. And so um, all the people are like, Zechariah, what do you think? So he takes this tablet and he types in, well, actually he wrote on a tablet, but, um, but he wrote um, that, John, I could have wrote you the Greek, I have it written here, but that's okay. Um, literally, it says, John, it is the name of his. <laughs> that's the wooden interpretation of it. His name is John. That's what we're gonna name him. That's what the angel told us to name him. That's who he's going to be. God has graciously given us. And then if you read verses 68 through the end, God, uh, and thank for him, um, the title that some have given that, that speech of his, uh, his notes of praise is called the Benedictus, which comes from the uh, Latin Vulgate. It's just the first word related. So I put down, he's a second cousin once removed. I don't know how, where he comes from there, but they are related. And his role, John's role, is to prepare the hearts of people to receive the Messiah. He's there to pave the way for the ministry of Christ. So what do we learn about this? What are some of the lessons and some of the responses? One thing is that some miracles are hard to believe. Zechariah would have known the story about Abraham and Sarah, and he would have known that God is able to do all that. Here's an angel telling you you're going to go through a similar kind of thing, and he's just doubtful. He just can't understand how this could happen. Here's a man, and I fully believe this, who was godly and lived with strong faith. But when it came to this prime moment in his life, he didn't have the faith to accept this message and this responsibility given to him. Because some miracles are just really hard to believe, hard to accept, and hard to, hard to deal with. Another thing is that fear is normal when you're in the presence of greatness. I don't think there's any human greatness like that, but I'm talking about the unknown angels. That would be frightening. If you have an angel appear in your room tonight, late at night in the dark, that could be any time after five, and, um, and an angel appears, that's probably going to shake you up just a wee little bit, I would think. Maybe a lot more than that. And I think that's what happened with him. It's very humbling fear. But God's grace is able to overpower any of our fears, any of them, because he can be with us. I want to also think, focus on the message, not the messenger. Unfortunately, in our culture back in the 90s and probably today, if there really is an angel that's touching people, unfortunately, a lot of people just focus on the angel and forget, don't care about the message. It's just all about the angel. That's not good. Because the angel's coming mostly to, to help all things be reconciled. He's announcing it all. God is near. He is of our lives, but God is near for the good of people, for us becoming more and more like Christ. He gives and He controls. At Christmas, 2,000 years ago, God stepped out of heaven to come near to man, to win him back to himself. The dawning of a new age, a new day. 
when the Messiah was to be born, and our greatest need, our greatest need ever was met. God keeps promises, and he's faithful to his covenant. It's in light of his birth, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, that we are able to grasp the full meaning of who he is and why he came. If you're not an heir of salvation, if you're not someone who knows Christ in a personal way, meaning you've come to him and asked him for forgiveness of your sins, and you understand that that's why he came. He came to die for your sins, and you've asked him to take that gift on the cross and apply it to my life. May your payment be my payment. If you're somebody who has not done that, you need what no angel could ever do for you. And that is you need Christ and you need his salvation that is offered only by him. The mission of the cross is hidden in the message of the cradle. I find it interesting to think about the angels who are in heaven just are so overwhelmingly curious about this work of God and who he is and what he's doing that they look into this and yet they're not able to be the recipients of it. They're not benefited by the death of Christ. They don't have that opportunity. You and I do. And if the angels are so in awe of what God has done for us, such a great, great truth of what you have done, when you broke into history and you came and it's our very souls, our eternal destiny, by Christ going to the cross, coming in, taking upon yourself manhood, and then going to the cross and paying for our sins, and then victoriously coming out of the grave to prove that you have victory over death. Thank you so much for your love, your grace for the great extent you go to pursue us to come to you. Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be tender toward you, toward your message of hope in our lives, that we would know you as our Savior, that we would serve you as our Lord. And we praise you through Christ. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.